0: time going before our, our king together. And again, just reminding us, keep those prayers going and continue saints to be praying for Israel. Please, please, please keep that at the forefront of our prayers as we move forward. And also keep in our prayers uh, our lovely church family, because we got different people traveling um, and also folks not traveling, hosting family members, everything that goes on with Thanksgiving. So please keep folks uh, in prayer. And last night we had a good conversation just in the men's study just reminding kind of it's an opportunity to share it's an opportunity to go forth i remind us again psalm 19 is a great one that we just recently looked at where we see creation we see the word of god and then we see how we have to look at ourselves because of all of that great opportunity to share and last night um, art actually shared a little bit just on the context of say israel comes up within family what do we do there and reminding ourselves to walk through what the nation means biblically, to go through with them, walk them from the beginning of creation, bring them to the promises that have been made, the covenant that has been made, and why there is an importance there and what that means to you as a believer and then that opens the door to share your testimony, to share who Jesus is to you. So take Thanksgiving not just as a time to sit and eat a lot of turkey, take it as a time to do God's work, amen? and really lean in on sharing. So last week, little recap, if you uh, remember, we did part one of what I split into two parts, this message entitled, O Lord, Our God. And in last week, we saw the people of Israel praying on behalf of their king, King David, before war. And we we looked also and talked about the fact of just the the... Beauty of where we were in scripture, it's again, you commit to just studying scripture. The Holy Spirit's going to give you exactly what you need where you land. I look at where we are tonight, where we're looking at a psalm of thanksgiving and we're going into thanksgiving tomorrow. It's again, just that reminder, commit to what you're going to read in the word of God. And guess what? Where you land that day is going to be applicable to what's going on in your lives. And when we looked at that psalm last week, we saw That reminder that I gave us David when he was king and when he was leading Israel only went to war when the enemy attacked and the parallels of that situation to what took place on October 7th and what we're seeing go on right now Only the Lord would have us there as we were in Scripture. In that psalm, I want to remind us, we saw the asking, them going before the Lord, asking what they were seeking for the king before going to battle. We saw the assurance that they took in God. And at the end, we saw the voices united in his sovereignty. David had his plans, but he committed the outcome to God. He found security in God's providence, in in God's proven character, who he is, what he's done before, his faithfulness and rested there. And also in last week's psalm, we were reminded of something very important, saints, the necessity of intercessory prayer. It's something that we need to be actively doing. As I charge, we pray for Israel. We pray for the people within our families. We pray for salvation. We pray for the hostages right now, the potential of release. And we pray for the other end of that, for things to not... Go to amiss with the opportunities that Hamas may gain from that, praying for salvation. The battle's won in prayer. Now, the charge check in for us one, did you pray Psalm 20 for Israel unto salvation, for souls to be saved? Two, did you pray Psalm 20 for leaders? And remember, we talked about the application of that, praying it for the leaders within the church, praying for the leaders within homes, the men of this church that they lead their families as they're called to. Did you pray more overall? Because that was the real charge. Who do you need to be praying for? And get in prayer for them. We just spent that time in prayer, but continuing to do that over and over and over again. And we walked through it a few weeks ago, but go through Acts and look at the Powerful things that take place when the body of believers come together praying in one accord. It is powerful. It is mighty. We need to be in prayer. Now tonight we're in Psalm 21 and this is again, O Lord, our God, part two. Now with Psalm 21, as with Psalm 20, we're going to see a royal psalm. This is a royal psalm, also messianic in that it's pointing to King Jesus, the ultimate king. Now, within this royal psalm of thanksgiving, which is, again, got to love the timing with what we're celebrating tomorrow, thanksgiving. We're going to see what takes place after the battle. Because Psalm 20 was the request. Psalm 21 is the answer. Psalm 20 was before the battle. Psalm 21 is after the victory. Psalm 21 is specific prayers were answered things opened and closes of this psalm. The start of it and the end of it starts about God's strength, giving that praise that is due to our king. And it reminds us of something very important, saints. Answered prayers, guess what they need? Fervent praise. Fervent praise. Notice I'm not just saying praise. Fervent praise. So it's something we have to ask ourselves because what answer prayers Do you have to give the Lord praise for? And take stock before we even dig in tonight. How's your thank you God muscle? Because if you think about the reality, we're really good. I'm going before the Lord for this. I'm going for that. I'm going for this. The prayer's answered. I keep doing life. Thank you, Lord. That's so great. But you keep going. But remember how much you were charging when you were praying for that thing. What's your muscle for your thank you God? What's your muscle for praise and thanksgiving unto our King? Psalm 20 was the prayer. 21's the answer. 20, desire seeking to be fulfilled. Fulfill the desires of our king. And then he does in 21. The battle's coming. The battle's over. And this journey that we see of these answers to prayer gives us hope ourselves in our prayer lives. And in their praise of victory, guess what? They look to the future in confidence of what God can do. So what we're going to see is passionate praise to God in this psalm. We're going to reflect on answered prayer. We're also going to reflect on unanswered prayer. We're going to have reflections on victory in God. We're going to see the anticipation and the hope of future victories because we have the eternal victory in King Jesus, Alpha Omega, beginning and end. We're going to see God being the center of those that are praising him. And they're realizing their strength, their victory, all comes from him alone. In that, we will see the power of trusting God. And it will give us that reminder to give thanks. And in that, we're going to have to ponder ourselves, where do I need to give thanksgiving to King Jesus? So let's dig in. The title we see, To the Chief Musician, A Psalm of David. To the chief musician, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to go there anyway. Can't wait for the possibility to be in Jesus's choir, in God's choir. Let's talk about that. I mean, come on now. That's going to be great. A Psalm of David. This is a continuation. The victory has now been realized. And this is a continuation of what was going on in that first psalm. And we read in verse one The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Now, when we look at just that first verse, if we think about the culture, if we think about joy and victory after battle, the way the culture has it go, the joy is in our own strength, the joy is in power of self. The joys of, look at how well we did. We won that war, man. We did a great job. Come on, guys. We're awesome. Look at how good we are. But if we see this, the king shall have joy in your strength. The joy, the praise, comes from you did it. God, you did it. God, your strength did it. You're the God who delivered us. So we see the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord. Now, the king there, what's interesting in the ancient Jewish Uh, Targum and the Talmud, it renders it Melech Mashiach, King Messiah. And what's interesting is Jews, in the early period, understood those words, understood that it was about the Messiah. In the Middle Ages, though, as a result of judgment, we see Rabbi Solomon Isaac, known as Rashi, around AD 1040, say, hey, you know what, let's actually take this early view, but I'm going to suggest we move that out. And part of it comes a quote from him. Our old, our old doctors interpreted this psalm of King uh, Messiah. But in order to meet the Christians better to understand as David himself. So that's what we see within the rendering of that word. But what's interesting for us with the whole council of the word of God who know it all. Guess what? David's a type of Messiah. A type of Jesus Christ illusion within this psalm. And we can't Go through this text without realizing that and acknowledging it right away. So the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord. And there's that personal O Lord again. And as we go through this, it's going to be similar, saints, to the way we did Psalm 20. We're looking at David. We're looking at his words. But we're also keep thinking of King Jesus and our relationship with him. And that's where this is, that royal psalm with the messianic point right to it. We go on. And in your salvation, how greatly he shall he rejoice. All glory declared to God. That deliverance that comes, salvation. The translation there, room to breathe. That deliverance, that room to breathe came from one alone, God. And that's what he's acknowledging. Think about us. Our salvation comes from one alone, the King. King Jesus, Messiah. Then we see. The prayers that he's had are answered. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the requests of his lips. It's a twofold. You've given him his heart's desire, what's inside the heart and also the requests of his lips, what's come out of his mouth. The heart and the mouth both being answered and then we see that selah, that pause right there. So we see in this right at the onset, The prayer has been answered in a big way. Victory. Now, God answered their prayers. So then you could have that question. Does God always answer every prayer? Yes, he does. He always answers prayer. Now, it may not always be what you want, but let's also have another reality here. Sometimes we're not getting an answer. What's going on? Why is there no answer? And there's things we have to think about in that one If you're not getting an answer, are you abiding in him? Read John 15. We are called to abide in him. If you're not getting an answer, Matthew 17, is there any unbelief unbelief that's crept in? Because that's going to keep you from being able to have him give you that answer. What are the motives that you're asking? Is it selfish? Read James 4. There's reminders within there about the heart as we're going into the prayer. Is there unconfessed sin that you need to get clean with the Lord so that you can then go to him with those requests. Is what you're asking in accordance to his will? James 5, get in there, check it out. Do you have sin against someone else? Do you need to seek forgiveness? John 14, is there pride within you? Are you lying? Is there deceit within you? Is it more what you're praying for? Is it more about just me, 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 or you actually seeking the Father's will? Are you even in the word of God? Are you even communing with him at all in any way in fellowship to go before him in prayer? Another one, are you honoring, this is for the men in the room, are you honoring God's design and order for how to tend to his bride? And really for all of us, do we honor his design? But men, I want us to turn to one, 1 Peter 3, 7. And when we read 1 Peter 3, 7, we read, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. This is about uh, your wives. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, when we see that, the why I want to highlight that one is because when we have this conversation about answered prayer and unanswered prayer, we need to be cautious. Don't make it about works. Because it's not about works it's about the heart it's about the heart God answers prayers and guess what the more you're in his word the more you're abiding in him growing in him praising him worshiping him your prayer is going to change you're going to see your prayers they're in line with his will because it's about what he wants what's going to glorify him and your prayers aren't even about you because you just want to see your God glorified you want to see him glorified more and more and more and more and more. When there's unanswered prayer, we can sometimes be too quick to say something's wrong with God or blame God. Rather than check our hearts, check ourselves. you got to pause and say, how am I doing with my dad? That's the question to ask, because he's our father, Abba Father. It's not about works, it's about obedience, That's what it's about. It's about being that Romans 12 living sacrifice. It's about not conforming to the world. It's about being renewed by the word of God. And then being in prayer in one accord. And when you're there, get ready for all that he will do. It's not about you. It's about God getting the glory. So when we think about that and we look at the first two verses of the psalm, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. And that Selah, 74 times we see it in the Old Testament. It is that pause. It's that time to ponder. It's that time to reflect, to pray, to meditate, to chew. And if we think about the context of battle, the greatest battle to reflect on is the soul battle unto salvation. When you read verses one and two of this psalm, take that selah and ponder your salvation. Ponder the mighty gift of grace and mercy given by King Jesus for you, that you can have communion with him. Then we go on, verse three. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Now, if we look at those verses that we just went through, because this psalm starts with this declaration of him and the glory of to God. Then we have this portion of this psalm where we're looking at him recounting everything. Then we're going to see him look to the future, and then we're going to see him lift his name on high. And in this moment where he's praising him, look at what you see. You meet, you set, he asked from you, you gave your salvation, you have placed, you have made. You have made him your presence, trust in the Lord. It's all about him. Don't miss that. It's all about him. When we look at this, you meet, you set, you have. It's because of him, verses one and two can be sung and praised unto the Lord. It's because of everything that he has walked through and seen him do. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. God brought it to him. God met him, brought it to him. It wasn't about David chasing it. He brought it. It's about Jesus and us in salvation. Jesus puts his word before us. Jesus puts that and says, I'm here. Will you come? Will you believe? Will you receive? You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. Now, this is the physical battle crown that he would have gotten from the battle that's been won, that crown that would be taken from whoever, that enemy that came and the conquering that takes place. There's also the allusion to the physical crown that he's been given. He's been enthroned. He held on to that promise. It was given to him. He didn't take it himself. Need I remind us again, twice he could have killed Saul. But he left his kingship in the perfect timing of God's sovereignty. He left it there. And when we think of our king Messiah, guess what? He took the crown of thorns for us that we can have the crown of life. Then we see he asked life from you and you gave it to him. Now that's part of that covenant that we saw in 2 Samuel 7. But he's preserving that life. And then we think of King Messiah Jesus. One, when we looked at John 17, we saw how Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for the disciples. He prayed to the Father that they would be one. And then he prayed for all that would come to believe. That's you and me. And that prayer has been answered. Life. Life everlasting life salvation then we have his glory is great in your salvation honor and majesty you have placed upon him the glory is given to him he's pointing all the glory to him you have blessed you have made him most blessed forever God's the anchor forever and ever and ever you've made him exceedingly glad with your presence now Take a gander at that. Think about the context of this. This whole thing is about the victory after the war. And that exceedingly gladness comes not from being the winner, which again, the world's way, that's where it would come. I got the trophy. I'm the winner. No, that gladness comes from God's presence. That's where the exceeding gladness comes. That's where the exceeding joy comes. It's not about trusting the win. It's about trusting God and it's about his presence. That's about us with King Jesus, his word, his spirit, his way. That's where it's about. It's not about the things of the world. It's not about success. It's about Christ likeness. That's where the true joy comes because that's when we're in his presence. I don't know about anybody else who is in prayer tonight, but being with the bodies of believers and his presence was tangible. That's what it is about. That's where the exceeding joy comes. Then we see verse 7. For the king trusts in the Lord and through the mercy of the most high El Elyon he shall not be moved. Guess what? That is a powerful declaration of faith that every single one of us should memorize and pray. Every single one of us should take 4 insert your name. Trust in the Lord and through the mercy of the most high he shall not be moved. Cuz that's the reality when we're trusting in the Lord. Guess what? Our king, when our anchor is that, when we're on the rock of salvation, what happens with the house that's built on the rock when the storm comes? Still standing. Not moved. That's what there is. That's what that's going for. And we see verses three through seven of this psalm are a portrait of our Messiah's grace. And when we think about the powerful grace and mercy of King Jesus, there's never a time we can't praise there's no circumstance, there's no situation where you can't say, I'm going to praise my king. Because the reality of it is, through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Doesn't it mean it won't be hard at times, doesn't mean that there won't be hardships that come. James 1, he promises them to us. Count it what? Joy. Be excited about them. And we should be because. It's the refiner's fire that chisels our character to what he needs. But even in that, there's a promise. Ask for wisdom without doubting. You're going to get it abundantly. There's the promise for us. When we think about trusting in the Lord, we trust in the promises of the word of God who dwells in each and every single one of us. The Holy Spirit, helper, comforter, teacher, brings to remembrance scripture, brings comfort, brings peace. I've said it a few times on Wednesdays, memorialize your journey with the Lord. Memorialize your journey, however you do that. Write it in a journal, sing songs about it, write songs about it. Whatever you do, memorialize it. That A verse like verse 7 has power to remind you in those moments you might want to doubt. Or those moments where you might want to falter or wave or look to the things of the world. No, for the king trusts in the Lord and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Period. Then we go on, verse 8. So now this next section, he's looking to the future. He's looking to the future of the enemies. Because even though the battle's won, guess what? The battle's still going. The enemies are still there. They're still pursuing. They're still doing what they have done. So we read, Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. So the battle's won, but the battle's not over. And guess what for us saints? The battle's been won ultimately. We are saved, we are new creations in Christ, but it's not over till eternity. There's an important reminder. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And men, I know we looked at this last night and it can seem like we keep going here, but it's an important passage for us to look at because in the context of our world, there are people, and we talked about this last night in Jude, who will want to say there's no devil. There's no spiritual warfare. There's no demons running around. You're silly. Knock that off. They're wrong. They're very, very wrong. Let's read here. Verse 10, Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, in the context of what we're looking at here, reminding us of the spiritual battle that we're in right now, notice where it starts. The strength is in the Lord. The strength is in the power of his might. It's very similar to what we saw in Psalm 18 with the deliverance, what we saw in Psalm 20 when they're seeking the prayer. And then when we see the start of this psalm, where does it start? His strength. His strength. It's not about us being able to do this. We can't stress that enough. We can't do it. But in his strength, in his power, what do we do? Put on the whole armor of God. And I want to point out it's the whole. You don't get to put on pieces of it. You've got to put on the whole armor of God, all of it, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When you see devil scripture, when you go through it, it's always in a singular, and guess what? There's an enemy we're fighting. We know, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We've got one enemy, and he's going. And we're reminded, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Get that clear. But the wrestle is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle, and there are demonic entities trying a kilter and throw you off course, trying to keep you from doing the will of God, trying to keep you from being who God has ordained and created you to be for his glory, because we are made by him and for him. So the battle of our salvation, yes, praise God. But the battle's still going. And as we look in these verses,, the next portion that we're going to look in the psalm, we're going to see how the judgment it's in his hands. He's got it. But we have the whole word of God. We've got to remember, Saints, right here, we're told, put on the whole armor. Are you putting on the whole armor of God? Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then it goes through the whole armor of God. Standing, therefore, girding your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. It's a twofold. It's a threefold. One, realize there's a spiritual battle going on. Two, put on the whole armor of God. Three, pray. You can't have the whole armor of God on and neglect the prayer. You've got to hit all of it. And when we look now with where David is reflecting on this. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand, verse 8 back in our text, will find those who hate you. God handles those against him. In that spiritual battle, he handles those. But in prayer, there's much we can do. And putting on the whole armor of God, we can stand when the darts come at us. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath and the fire shall devour them. Guess what? Eternal judgment's real, saints. That's why we pray for salvation. That's why we pray for people to come to know him. Because these enemies that are going, these enemies that are coming against the nation of Israel, in this case, guess what? There's a final judgment coming. And it's real. And we have to see their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. In the context of what we're looking here, for the nation of Israel and David's posterity to be preserved, there are promises that have been given. If we look at Psalm 1850, verse 50, we saw one of those. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. Forevermore. There's that promise there. If we look at 2 Samuel 7, 16, this is we looked at this chapter, this is the part where we're seeing the covenant made to David. And we read verse 16... 2 Samuel 7, 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. He's made this promise to him. And that promise goes and the line continues onward forever and ever. King Jesus, Messiah, forever and ever. Then we have another promise that has been made that would be Given Genesis twelve one to 3, the promise to the nation of Israel. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a promise that's made. We see it over The decades and years and years that it is fulfilled. But again, as we look at this passage, that's the judgment coming that he's aware of. He knows, David knows the promises that God has made. And there's an eternal judgment that will come for the enemies of God. Verses 8 to 11, King Messiah, millennial reign. When we think of that victory, guess what the enemies are gonna be getting their judgment coming. And we have to have that context for ourselves. Now, when we think of that then, and we're sitting here talking about God's judgment, there's a fiery oven, his wrath, he's going to swallow them up in his wrath. That's when somebody who's living woke and we pray for their salvation says, oh my gosh, like, why are you following that God? He's so mean. Like, look at that, a fiery oven, and he's going to swallow them with a wrath. Like, why do you want to serve a God like that? He's so mean. Why is he doing that? Read verse 11. For they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Why is God being so harsh? He ain't being so harsh. They're rebelling and rejecting. The gift waits. Receive, believe. Not receiving, believing. Guess what? Rebelling and rejecting. You're abiding in wrath. We've looked at it in John. And you're putting yourself there. You are choosing to reject Unto eternal damnation. It's a a choice. We have a choice to make. And it's a choice that gets made there. And we have to understand. We see here they're devising a plot. Now their plot. They're not even able to perform it. But they devise that plot. They relish in it. It should remind us of one of the early psalms we did. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed messianic psalm saying let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us because they see God as a bondage binder but we know he's the bondage breaker and then we see what he says he who sits in the heavens shall laugh the Lord shall hold them in derision then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion Telling of the millennial reign, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the end of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. We'll see this in Revelation. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Remember, we studied this, that chance and reminder, hey, be wise, be reality. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And when we look at that, and when we look at the context of David here, rejoicing in the victory, but looking at the future battle that still comes, we with the whole word of God, guess what this should fire us to do, saints? Evangelize like you never have before. Because judgment day is coming. The end is coming we look at the world stage, we see how things are moving along, where things are going, we need to be moved to evangelize, to share. Don't let the enemy hold you from whoever you're with, whoever you're in front of, telling them about your Messiah, telling them who he is, how he's impacted you, what he's done. That's what that should be pushing us to do because look, Verse 12, therefore, you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. Now, when you'll make them turn your back, I'd like to think of David and everything he was going through in the battles, probably seeing at times the enemy is just deciding, we're not, I'm not fighting this anymore. I'm out of here and running away. And that's the power of our king. And he's going to have the arrows and the, the strings toward their faces. Judgment is coming. May we do our steadfast work of the commission from our king. Share who he is. That people would know. Share who he is. Then the last verse of the psalm. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your honor. So in this last verse, be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. David gives worship to God directly. Be exalted, O Lord. In your own strength. He is powerful. He is mighty. He gives it right to him. He exalts him. All of your great strength. And we have to realize. David's heart there. We've talked about how in the Psalms. You get to see the consistency of this man. Look back to where that consistency began. Being in battle. And giving the direction to the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. This is David and Goliath. And if Baldric was here, he'd say, can we play David and Goliath? Because it's a game we play, but we're not going to play David and Goliath right now. But when we look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 36, we read, Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God, going into the battle because it's about God, not about him. Moreover, David said, pointing right to God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Where's that strength coming from for him? Right early on, the Lord. Then we look at verses 45 to 47 when he's doing that confronting with him. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I'm coming in his strength. I'm coming in his might. I'm coming in his power. This day, the Lord, not me, will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you, pointing to God. And this day, I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel because it's about God and it's about his glory then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear; for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. That's the heart that started, that's then able to say, be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. A life consistent upon depending on the strength of God. A life consistent upon pointing to his strength, his power, his might. You're the one that does that. And then it leads other people to sing and praise because look at the determination in the second half of that verse. We will sing and praise your power. We're going to sing and praise your power. It's a determination for all of the people to praise God. Are you consistent as David in battle pointing to the Lord? That's a question to think when we think about ourselves because we looked, we're in a spiritual battle. Are you consistent as David pointing to the Lord? And do you praise and give thanks to the Lord? Or do you forget and keep moving? We can't be a people who forget and keep moving. Turn to Luke 17. We're going to close tonight with a portion that gives us an idea to think about all of this because this is a psalm of rejoicing and thanksgiving for the victory God gave. The victory we can think of many moments in our lives where God has given us victory, salvation, but I'm sure if I went around and said, hey, give me one thing that you're thankful to the Lord or where you really knew the Lord was victorious in your life, everybody could have something to share. But the question is, are we consistent in taking that time to give our Savior the praise He is truly due? Luke 17, verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Now this is leprosy. They're having this forever. They're they're seeing him. Have mercy on us. That's their goal that they're seeking this whole time. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Think about what we've learned about and Jews. Then verse 17. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. And there's many things we could look at within this. But we see a prayer that was needed. Mercy, have mercy on us. God heals them. Ten, all ten should have come back and sang to him. Praise, glory, thanksgiving. Only one. Are you in the crowd of nine or are you the one that takes the time to give praise and thanksgiving to God? O Lord, our God. Psalm 20 is before the battle and the prayer before. Psalm 21 is the answer. And it's the eyes on the confident judgment that he'll come. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. Are we singing and praising his power in our own lives and to others? Don't be the other nine that don't give thanksgiving for all he's done. Be the one that takes the time to go to the Lord with thanksgiving. Be the one that takes the time to fall flat on your face. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, King Messiah. We can all give thanksgiving for salvation, for eternity, but guess what? That alone gives us a reason that no matter what's going on, we can praise. And there's victories to praise him for, and there's answered prayers to praise him for. And a question we have to ask ourselves is, what can you give thanks to Jesus for tonight? What is there that you, Lord, thank you? Thank you, Jesus. Where do you need to stop and give King Jesus the praise he's due? I'm going to give us the charge, and then we're going to actually say goodbye to our Facebook friends, just in case what I'm going to have us do, anybody shares anything personal that you don't want on internet land, but I'll share the charge and then I want us to take a few minutes and let's give thanks to our King. Let's actually lift up prayers of thanksgiving to our Savior. So the charge, one, give thanks in prayer. Give thanks in prayer. Spend the time in prayer giving thanksgiving to our Savior. Two, give thanks and praise. Worship him. Sing unto him. Sing songs of thanksgiving. We sang one last night, the men. uh, Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the uh, price you paid. Bearing all my sin and shame and love you came. That one, great one. Sing to him. Thank him. And three, give thanks in how you live. How do you give thanks and live? Walk by faith. Trust the promises that are in the word of God. Trust and lean on his strength. We saw it in Ephesians 6. Lean on his strength and then in that, guess what? Then put on the whole armor of God and then be in prayer. Give thanksgiving to our king. So I'm going to open us up but then I just want to open the floor to lift up praise and thanksgiving to our king because I think it's something that we can forget to do, we don't do enough We're landing in this psalm. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your grace, Lord. Father God, we thank you for our church. I thank you, Lord, for just your steadfast love and care amidst this transition, Heavenly Father. I thank you for Pastor David and Michelle and for their love and care and mentorship for myself and for Christina and for Baldrick, Lord God. And I thank you for um, the elders and the elders' wives and the way that they've come alongside, Lord, and that they are with us, Father God, running this race, Lord. And I thank you for this church body, Lord God, that is just seeking to know you and grow in you more, Lord. And we just thank you for the chance to, to just be your hands and feet right now, Lord. I just give you thanksgiving, Lord. Thank you. Thank you.